0: Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller, and I'm glad you're here with us this week for a very special episode. Today on the podcast, we have the executive director and former president of the American Association of Orthodontists, Dr. Dwayne McCamish. It was a real pleasure to talk with Dr. McCamish about a number of topics, including protecting the specialty designation of uh, our profession, uh, some of the emerging threats and, and competition we have, what the American Association of Orthodontists is doing on a legal and legislative front, a little bit of a discussion about student loans and residency accreditation, and I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. I, I had a great time doing it. I want to thank those of you who sent in suggestions and questions for me. I hope you were able to get most of them, if not all of them, specifically at least hit on all of the themes. So thanks to those who sent along some of those questions. Typically, I do a book review or a thought of the week, but my interview with Dr. McCamish was a little bit longer than usual, so we'll go ahead and skip that for this episode and get right into the interview. I'm going to be at the MKS Forum later this week in Dallas, Texas, so if you're there, come up and say hi. I'd love to meet you if we haven't already met and uh, you know, connect with some of you guys in person. So, so without further ado, we'll jump right into the interview. Have a great week. Talk to you again soon. Dr. Dwayne McCamish completed his orthodontic studies at Middle Tennessee State University before earning his doctor of dental surgery and his master's degree in orthodontics from the University of Tennessee at Memphis College of Dentistry. Dr. McCamish is a diplomat of the American Board of Orthodontics. He is past president of the Southern Association of Orthodontists, the Tennessee Association of Orthodontists, the University of Tennessee Orthodontic Alumni Association, and the Chattanooga Area Dental Society. He is the immediate past president of the American Association of Orthodontists and is currently serving as the interim executive director of the AAO. Aside from his professional accolades, Dr. McCamish has also earned recognition as a gifted athlete. He's been inducted into both the Chattanooga Sports Hall of Fame and the Tennessee Tennis Hall of Fame. He played four years of football at MTSU, and he also enjoys golf, snow skiing, yoga, and spending time with his wife and his grandchildren. He and his wife have three children and reside in Signal Mountain, Tennessee. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast, Dr. McCamish.
1: Thank you very much. It's an honor to be asked to be part of this, and I, I certainly very, very much appreciate the opportunity.
0: I understand uh, that you were at the American Dental Association meeting this weekend, and I'm curious if there were any meetings or discussions there that our listeners would be interested in hearing about.
1: You know that there are. And uh, Lance, um, I would say that our members do not often realize that uh, members of the Board of Trustees go to the ADA and we try to address and testify on issues that are critical to our members. And that really might affect uh, the future of how we treat because what we do in our offices is determined by the policies and procedures that are put in place frequently by the American Dental Association. And one most important that we were discussing in Atlanta this past week, in fact, yesterday, uh, and it is Resolution 30 on their agenda. But it relates to the formation of a separate commission to recognize dental specialty and specialty certifying boards. This resolution takes the recognition of dental specialties and specialty certifying boards away from the House of Delegates and forms a separate commission that is totally separate from the House of Delegates. Now, you still have uh the DOE. You have the Department of Education, which which certifies CODA and CODA determines the standards that go forward that are in enforced. And so there's standards that are there and are in place for the House of Delegates. But then what happens is that the certifying process has recently become questioned. And in that, it goes back really to North Carolina and the whitening issue where FTC came in and they ruled that they were in violation because the decisions they were making was done completely by dentists within the North Carolina Dental Association. Well, that's been carried over, and I'm sure your listeners are aware of what happened in Texas with the ABDS, the American Board of Dental Specialties, and they are now allowed to take and advertise as specialties. They sued the Texas Board of Dentistry, and they are now allow, allowed to advertise in the state of Texas as specialists. So before, we've had nine specialties that could advertise as specialties. And, uh, and now in the state of Texas, you have four more. You have uh, oral facial pain, oral medicine, anesthesia, an- anesthesiology, and implantology, and those four entities can now advertise in that state. Uh, what we have seen and what is going forward is that from a standpoint of potential for this to happen, the American Dental Association and the American Dental Association's legal counsel, his name is Craig Boosie, and he has recommended that the American Dental Association do exactly what's, what's going to be done in a preemptive manner and to form this separate commission you know i I'd, I'd be glad i don't want to go on and on about it and i'd be <laughs> glad to take it further and tell you the composition and what we hope and the testimony yesterday um was was almost unanimous that this has to be done there were a few individuals and there was a there was one specialty and that's our our surgeon friends, AMOS, A-A-O-M-S, the American Association of Oral Maxillofacial Surgeons, and they are strongly against it. They're not against the commission, but they're against the makeup and it happening immediately. They want to refer it off for more questions, for more study, for more information before it's formed. And we know with the AAO, we cannot wait this has to be done. We have states out there right now. We our attorneys at the AAO have gone into 10 different states and they have talked, they have been talking about this one thing that's happening where these other specialties are trying to come in and where they can advertise as specialties. And so that's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to preempt it. These states we've gone into each one of them: Illinois, Minnesota, Georgia, Iowa, um, uh, Idaho. Uh, there's ten different ones that we've gone into, and they their state boards have agreed to wait and see what happens with the ADA. So it's it's really important that this be done immediately and not be referred for more study. And I'd I'd be glad to answer any question that you might have about that.
0: Yeah, I'd love to get into that, and I kind of gave you a heavy question there right off the bat, but maybe if we could back up just a a minute, and I'm curious, and I'm sure some of our listeners are curious, um, a little bit about your background and your private practice career in orthodontics.
1: Um, That's going to be a boring topic for many of them, (laughs) (laughs) but but I I graduated uh, from the University of Tennessee in 1973. And I learned in the nine the first nine months, Lance, how you treat a a partner, because I became a partner, and how you don't treat a partner. And uh the individual I went in with really wanted me there to make money off of and to and to really uh to be um his retirement. And uh and after nine months, um, our, in trying to negotiate a contract and relationship, uh, our relationship, uh, changed and I was asked not to come back to work on April the 1st, 1974, a Monday morning. I'll never forget. And, uh, and at that point in my life, I had two little boys and, uh, a wife and just gotten out of ortho school and, uh, $22,500 in debt. If you equate that now, it's about 125000 which doesn't sound, sound like a lot with the student debt that we're faced with now. But, but it was a lot to me. And I was pretty devastated at that point. But I, I, um, I traveled back and forth to Murfreesboro where I had been, um, uh, where I had relationships with an orthodontist that had become ill and saw his patients, uh, for two days every week. For I did that for three years, but I started my own practice. And um and we I now in Chattanooga we have um, really four offices. I have two partners, uh Dr. Randy Cooper and Dr. KC Dyer. And Randy's been with us with me now for fourteen years, uh KC for seven and a half, almost eight years and um and and just two great guys and we have we have four offices uh, one office is not a freestanding office but the other three are freestanding buildings that we own and after serving as president of the American Association i realized that the time had come that that i needed to go on and step out especially when i was asked to step in as the executive director at the American Association and so I have sense they are in they are are buying my third of the practice. They were made equal partners after I knew they were the right ones. We were all equal. And that was after a year. We had a year trial period with each one where they were um, on salary for the first year and then then we made we made equal amounts and it was essentially a cut in salary for me, we made equal amounts. Uh, I worked a little bit different hours than they did, and so there was a little bit of sweat equity involved with it but uh but but that uh, that 's really where we are now in my practice uh I, I I work for them when they ask me to on a per DM basis, and uh, which is a fair way to do it. and And they essentially have control and and ownership of the practice now. I still feel like I'm a big part of it because the staff, many of the staff, have been there for thirty, thirty five, forty years, some of them. And uh, wow even though there's a lot of new young faces that are starting to show up as as those individuals retire um and and enjoy the, the the last decade or decades of their lives right right
0: before we dive into any specific issue i'd like to ask you how you view the american association of orthodontists and its mission what what is its role in promoting the specialty and what are its limitations
1: well, let's start with the last because the, the only limitation we have is, is just making sure that what we do and what we say is factual and within the bounds of the law. And I think in the past, the American Association has been a little hesitant to be, to say what the facts are. And we cannot say, we cannot be hesitant anymore. I mean, we will be, and we have been, and we will continue to be proactive in what we say. Now, what we're saying, when I first took over as executive director, I called all 53 employees at the American Association of Orthodontists into one into one area. And I told them, I said, the only reason that you are here, the only reason that you have a job, And this is what I tell my staff, and it's because of patience with my staff, but those 53 employees, it's because of members. If we don't have members, you do not have a job. If we lose membership, you do not have a job. Many of you will not have a job. And so... We are about programs and services, and we need to make sure that we are delivering to our members the exact programs and services that they need. Programs to make their practice life easier, services to make sure that we are the voice that we are putting out there that the orthodontist is the most qualified individual to provide orthodontic treatment because they have two to three years more of training beyond, and I don't know, general dentist, uh, family dentist, uh, however we refer to our colleagues in dentistry, and, and with respect, because it, that's nothing but the truth. And so, you know, that message is being delivered much more frequently, much more openly, and much more on social media.
0: Yeah, I think that is, you know, what the membership is demanding. And certainly in the groups that I'm involved with, that seems to be the refrain over and over. And it seems that we need to change our message more from, uh, beef it's what's for dinner theme to uh, choosy moms, choose Jeff, right? I mean, we've got to try to promote orthodontists or what what do you think we're promoting? Are we promoting the word orthodontist? Are we promoting the brand of the AAO?
1: Now, we, we're not promoting brand of the AAO. It's nice. I mean, we do promote that, and we do promote orthodontists. But what we promote is the qualifications of an orthodontist, the individual who's, you know, what we should be about and what every dentist should be about is providing the very best care for their patients. Now, if they provide the very best care for their patients, Then they are going to want to use the very, very, the very best person to provide that care. And that's exactly what we need to promote. We need to promote that to the public. Our, our identity with our logo is great because that they can recognize that you are a member of the American Association of Orthodox, that you graduated from a program that is two to three more years of training. That's great. But the public doesn't always do that. They don't always. They don't always make that connection. There's a disconnect there. And so the message we have to get out there is that is that the orthodontist is educationally qualified to provide the best treatment. Right.
0: And what are the ways in which the AAO is hoping to get that message out there?
1: Well, our social media, we have uh, Katie Masson is the American Association of Orthodontists Director of Communication and Marketing. And she has under her a staff of 10 to 12 individuals. And I, I don't know the exact number. She has several very skilled individuals underneath her. And we are using social media in a totally different way than what was used before. Before we were in print, we were in cable, we were on, we were advertising in that way. Now we are digital. We are putting, we are pushing our message out there. Our Council on uh, communications on that council Anil adikula is the uh, is the chairman of that, and they are really directing our marketing campaign and, and i 'll tell your listeners this at at the American Dental Association this past week, uh, we started our meeting there. I arrived from St. Louis early Thursday morning, and we had meetings we first had meetings with the American Uh, Association of Oral Maxillofacial Surgeons, and they wanted to um, try to change our thoughts on Resolution 30, and that, of course, did not happen, but we agreed to disagree. But the second meeting we had was with the AGD, and it's significant that the only other time That they have asked for a meeting with us has been a time that they were upset by something that was on our website that said almost exactly what we're saying now. But And that was probably about when I first came on the board about eight years ago. And as a result of them being upset, we pulled it off our website. Well, they still don't like some of the messaging. They don't like this new message we're putting out there. And, but I, I, we made it very clear that the trustees that were with us at that meeting, they made it very clear that we're not putting out anything that's not true. The message we're putting out there is that orthodontists are specialists, that orthodontists have more, have more training. And that fact is clear they wanted us to change some of the wording they wanted us and there are ways we can collaborate with them but but putting a message out that's not true and a message that we know that our members want us to put out there and that we deserve uh, that they deserve to have put out there well we're going to make sure we do so yeah. that's that's really how we're doing it now our facebook uh we're having more and more hits on our facebook account we have um I know at one time we had very very few hits on there and right now we have over I think uh, almost 40,000 likes on our Facebook account and before we had it was it was really it was really pitiful it was less than a thousand <laughs> And so, you know, we, we, we know that what we're doing is, is good. We know we've had a 1400% increase in Facebook followers. And, um, we celebrated at the AAO when we reached 25,000, then we, with cupcakes for, uh, CEO for our, our marketing department and all the AAO staff we wanted them to know and celebrate with us what was happening so we've had a 1400% increase uh within the last year and a half, well within the last year really um of of likes on our Facebook and that's really the traffic has been up 500% with over 72 million hits on our on our Facebook site
0: that's great. And I mean, I think that those things are what the members are, are hoping for. I'm curious what you think uh, the role of the individual members are in terms of spreading the message of the AAO. I think many orthodontists are scared to offend referring dentists, maybe, so they want the AAO to do the really aggressive language. But I think, and I believe there's a role for each orthodontist to play in their communities in, in kind of spreading this unified message.
1: You know, and I, I totally agree with you. I think the first thing that all our members should do, and, and this is how I built my practice is, is I tried to do the very best job I could do. And, and that means, uh, you know, anybody, we, we you, you have six month smiles, you have fast braces, you have all these things out there that can, um, and with Invisalign. Um, you, you, they can straighten teeth, but, but making the teeth occlude, bite, fit together right, finishing your cases, making that dentist aware that, that, hey, you do orthodontics better than anyone. That for them, the one comment I hear sometimes is that, well, you know, so and so I do I do I can finish a case as good as so and so can. Well, you know, I I'm sorry. A lot of times you didn't diagnose it right and a lot of times you didn't start right and and there's a lot of parameters out there, but our ne- our members need to number one make sure that they are accountable for what they do. And then after they do that in my practice and my two partners still do that. We have a final conference with every patient we treat. And we sat down face-to-face with that patient and that parent, or if it's an adult, the patient. And we go over where they were because they forget where they were. And we go over where they are and we re we reinstitute the goals of what we started out and we show them where they ended and how their occlusion is. And they become ambassadors. They become missionaries for our practice. I know that's how my practice grew. I, at one time, I, we still give them pictures. Now we give them digital pictures. At one time, I gave them before and after models of their teeth and I gave them, uh, Polaroids. A lot of your listeners won't know <laughs> what a Polaroid is, but I gave them before and after Polaroid pictures of their facial features, gave them 35 millimeter pictures of their, of their before and after dental results with every patient. And sometimes those are hard conversations. Sometimes you, you, you talk about cooperation or you talk about decalcification and, but those are things you need to have and you document in your records clearly as you go along. So you have a record of what's been done. And and that's the number one thing that our members can do to promote orthodontics. And I th- I think the other thing to do is our members need to get involved. They need to be involved with with not just orthodontics. They need to be involved with their, with their states, with their component, we need more orthodontists on state boards. We need more orthodontists involved with their, in Tennessee, it would be the Tennessee Dental Association and, and serve on that House of Delegates and then become trustees to the ADA. The one thing we found this past weekend was that the, the surgeons do a really good job of doing that. They have, if this fails, it would be because the surgeons have outdone us on the local level. And they have more people in that House of Delegates saying things that are not right and things that eventually can cause specialties to be in anybody a specialty of of a uh, porcelain jacket crown as opposed to a veneer or mod amalgam or um a, a class a class 5 composite you know you'll have specialties in all different just like medicine has 24 different recognized specialties now and the dentistry will be no different there'll be anybody can say they're a specialty of anything including an invisalign specialist
0: Right. So you're saying that members can get involved not only in the AAO and and its component uh, organizations, but to actually be involved at the ADA as well?
1: Definitely. Definitely. It's very important. We have, we have a lot of members, uh, that are doing that. We have an orthodontist that is one of three that will be chosen tomorrow to be president of the American Dental Association. We have an individual from Pennsylvania by the name of Andy Kwasny. And uh, and an- Andy has put his head out, his neck out there. He's fighting for orthodontics, you know. And of course, we're doing everything we can to support him. But he's running against a, an individual who's an oral surgeon, and he's running against an individual who was former uh, member and president of the AGD of the Academy of General Dentistry. For those that don't, I know we've referred to AGD, but there's a lot of. There's a lot of one of the hard things about being a trustee is learning what all these acronyms mean. I mean there's there's a thousand acronyms out there, and there's there's more acronyms than there are uh, letters in the alphabet. I can promise you.
0: That's right. Well, let me ask you about uh, an acronym. I know you are uh, ABO certified, and I'm curious what you think is the role of board certification in marketing our orthodontic practices to the public. Do you think we need to present a unified front to the public, or do you think ABO certification should be used to distinguish between orthodontists?
1: Never. Never should ABO certification be used to distinguish between, between orthodontists. It does not make me better to be ABO certified Than to be non. I have a lot of friends that did not choose. Whenever I I became certified in nineteen eighty one. 82, I had to show 15 cases. I had to go to a Marriott or a Hilton or one Marriott, I think that adjoined the airport in St. Louis and take an exam. Then I had to go back and show my cases. The cases had to be two years out of treatment. I had to have three sets of records for each one. It took me an enormous amount of time to do what ABO certification did for me is what we should be doing anyway. An ABO certification convinced me that I needed to look at everything I needed to do. I never treated a patient after that without taking final records. I never treated a patient after that without having a conference after I treated them and set, and set, setting down and going over the treatment. So I do not think that being ABO board certified makes you. Any better than any other orthodontist. I think it makes you aware of the treatment that you're providing. I think it puts you in a situation where, where you're really looking at what you're doing and you're trying to achieve, achieve the best. So you know i i don't know that i've totally answered what you what you uh, asked me by if i think it makes you better i think it makes you better by becoming aware i do not think it makes me better than my friends and I won't call a name. I could tell you a couple of classmates of mine that do great work that did not go on and become ABO certified because it was it was too hard to do. Now graduates can bank cases. They can they can take cases that they treated during school and they can they can add to that others. And then if maybe a couple of them don't qualify, they can bank those and then they can bring the. I think there's five cases is a, that are required now, and so. Yeah. It it, it's a lot easier process you know I, I i it that's a mixed bag i i just think it's it's just a level we have 41% of orthodontists ABO certified when i became certified in in the early 80s and i it was either 81 or 82 uh there were 17% of orthodontists ABO um certified at that point um i think it i think it does perform a A very good function to go before your peers and to sit down and to show the work you've done and to put it out before them. Uh, Do I think it makes you better? Absolutely not. I don't think it makes me any better than anyone else. That's not. And when we took down the ABA, ABO on the, on the member website, that, that needed to be done. When you click on my website, that's, that's different. That's part of my, that's part of my upbringing, you might say.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm glad you say that, and I think I think I agree with you in terms of the objectives, or at least the stated objectives of the ABO. I think one concern some orthodontists have is that all of these messages somehow get muddled. You know, are, are we looking for a specialist or or a regular dentist? If we're doing a specialist, is it board certified or or not? And I think at some point uh, there have been some proposals to, in terms of streamlining this process or a, a way to present a more cohesive front and, and, and saying, look, this, these are the people that we want, not this subset of this subset are, are the people that we think are best suited to provide your, you or your child with orthodontic treatment.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, um, I, I agree. There should be no distinction. If you are an orthodontist, you are an orthodontist. You are the one most qualified to provide the treatment. And and that and that's a period after that. It should not go any further than that. And then you know, uh, personally, I personally am glad that I became board certified, and I would ac- encourage all your listeners to do the same thing. And I and I've got the feeling that there's not many that have been in practice forty four years that are part of the couple of thousand that are your listeners. Uh, <laughs> so I would encourage all of the Gen X and Gen Ys that are out there listening to go and do that. I mean challenge yourself go forward and do that.
0: So in addition I think to these non-specialist dentists and and, and different uh, groups we've we've mentioned already I guess the rise of do it yourself or teledentistry, whatever you want to call them entrance into the marketplace and what what is the position of the AAO on these services and and what is it doing to advance that
1: position? <sighs> But you know, I don't know. Last year when I was president, you probably saw some of the situations where I was interviewed, uh, about do-it-yourself, uh, orthodontics and, and this aspect. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things, and this is what we were working on while I was president, but they, we had to have all our ducks in line. We had to have everything legally so that it was secure before we did anything. And I think you know, and I hope your listeners know, that a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, we, afi- we officially filed complaints with 36 state dental boards. Yeah. Now the complaint the complaints that we filed were very specific. We they had been researched and, and we knew from a legal standpoint that our concern, our total concern in this is the protection of the public. Now the protection of the public has been ensured in each one of these states by the formation of state regulations and dental laws within each one of those states the The American Association totally respects that, and we 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 expect those state boards to be set up for one purpose, and that's to protect the public. So, with each one of those states, we filed complaints, and our complaints were specific against an entity within those states that's practicing in violation of those state dental board laws. And that entity is Smile Direct Club. And we know that they were in, that they were in the illegal practice and delivery, the corporate delivery of dentistry, the illegal delegation of dental services, and the illegal practice of fee splitting. And, and we were very specific with each one of these states. We, we, we have, there has been one state, Alaska, that has ordered Smile Direct Club to cease and desist from practicing and offering any type of promotion within that state. Smile Direct Club this past week, uh, and did you see the e bulletin that came out, um, Yesterday or today, I I think it came out yesterday morning and I've been out of touch with the office, but I'm pretty sure it came out yesterday morning and it was an open letter to all our members. And, and what we encourage our members to do, Lance, we encourage our members to, to take and if that they are not on behalf of the American Association of Orthodox, but as individual practitioners, as taxpaying Uh, individuals within each state as licensed dental professional within each state to take and to voice their concern about this. And if they know or if they have instances of individuals that come into their office that have been treated in such an inappropriate manner that they make their state dental boards aware of this this is what has to be done this is something this is the tip of the iceberg if we do not react as a professional as as individual practitioners that have the the sole purpose of providing the best treatment our code of ethics says that we provide the very best treatment for our patients regardless of financial remuneration Now, that has to be the basis on which we show our concern, that those patients receive the very best treatment and that state laws are set up to make sure that the citizens of each state receive the very best treatment. It's not like it's not a technology thing. I mean technology technology is great and, and and we have and it can use the right way it is the right way I Uber I you know I fly from Chattanooga to St. Louis every week and whenever I get there I Uber I Uber because uh-huh. number one, it's convenient, it's a little bit cheaper. That's using technology in the right way. That's not an, an irreversible procedure. That's not a medical procedure. That's not treating human beings. That's me using technology in the right way. Using technology in the wrong way can be just as bad. And that's what's being tried to happen. You know, it's not that we're living in the dark ages. And and it's not about that. You know, access to care is access to care for a patient for their lifetime, for good care, for the proper care. And that's, we have enough practitioners out there to provide that access to care. So, you know, I, you, you've got me on a bandwagon on something that I really believe passionately about. And I can tell you our board of trustees, our, our, our individuals within our communication and marketing department, our legal department, our education department at, at 401 North Lindbergh in St. Louis, they feel exactly the same way. They are there. They are fighting for our members, and we are going to fight as hard as we can. I can promise you.
0: So this sounds to me like a battle that's kind of waged in each of these 36 states. Uh, and I guess this kind of leads to a, a different question I have, which is, you know, how much of our efforts in, from a lobbying standpoint should we be focused on federal entities versus these state, you know, state boards and, and state uh, legislatures?
1: Well, I, I don't think you can ignore one. Or the other. You have to have the federal. And we can talk about that in a minute, too. But uh, you have to have the state, too. I mean, state laws are critical for each state. And, and they control the entities that practice and they control the rules and the regulations that each of our members have to live by within the state. But then the federal is important. Because you you have more of a global presence with the federal. Because there you have the 2.3 excise tax. Um, you, you you have the, where we have FSAs, we now have the RAISE Act. Um, before the flexible spending account was $5,000. It got knocked down to $2,500. We've got it back up to $2,600 now. It used to be there was no use it or lose it. Uh, there was a use it or lose. There was not a use it or lose it provision. Now there is. So the RAISE Act tends to, wants to take it back up to $5,000, wants to add $500 for each dependent beyond two. It also wants to get rid of the use it or lose it rule. So we're fighting on that regard. That's important for our members because that's the global. That affects everybody. We pay federal tax, we pay state tax. So you got federal, you got state. You cannot ignore one. Over the others, so you don 't go from that just recently, and this will really be be good news for for those of our members out there that are Gen X Gen y or just got out of school um, and and they they are faced with a lot of debt and we recently had a uh, an act presented it was a student loan refinancing and recalculation act, and we now have fourteen other associations and programs that have signed on to it, supporting it, including the ADA. They have signed on to our act that we have put before Congress. We now have a bipartisan group going forward. It's spearheaded by a Democrat out of California, John Jeremidi, and then a Republican out of Pennsylvania, Brian Fitzpatrick. And what this act does is what should have been done all along. The federal government does not need to make out, make money off of students that are in school. They do not need to make um, money off of graduates that have gra- that just graduate that have we know the average debt is three hundred and sixty four thousand even though that number i I've, I've been told um, by several expert practice advisors we'll know more information soon because we've got a new survey out, but that number is closer to four hundred thousand now We know that that's the average that means there's that many more that have more and we've heard even up to a million dollars in debt but this this refinancing and recalculation act it takes it doesn't go it doesn't do away with the debt but it, it stops the interest being accrued while you're in school while you're in undergraduate while you're in graduate school it sets the interest rate that can be charged on the 10year treasury plus one percent. It makes it so that when you get out, if that rates change that you can refinance you can you can go down to a lower rate if it if if that ten year treasury rate has changed, you can go down to it plus one percent. It is a big big deal for individuals that are in school going to enter school and have just graduated with a lot of debt because there's a lot of ramifications from the debt we have the startup of dSOs we have a lot of things happening. People are not being allowed to do what they would like to do when they graduate. People, meaning our members, students that are our graduates, the residents that are getting out of school.
0: Yeah, I think those all sound like really sensible uh, suggestions. I think those would all be great things for orthodontists and for members of the AAO.
1: So you've got to have the federal, you, you've got to have it, Lance, as, as, as well as the state. You cannot disassociate. We have to be, we have to be at both places. And I'll add one more thing. The, the House of Delegates uh, in 2015 allocated $1 million for component defense funds. Now, we have been so far, including Texas, we have been in 10 other states. We have spent of that 1 million, almost 200,000. Um, it was 171,000, but I think we've spent a few more thousand recently being in, in the state of Idaho. And because it, it covers the expense of our attorneys flying there, they don't charge. We don't pay like we would if we had to pay attorneys in Idaho to fight for us and they wouldn't know what they were fighting for anyway because they're they're AAO employees and and they fly there Sean Murphy and Kevin Dillard are two outstanding attorneys that we are very fortunate to have uh, Kevin's our chief legal counsel and Sean is his associate and they are very very active so on a component level we have money that's allocated to take and to help our members on that level. We have our PAC that helps us on the federal levels, and we have uh COGA, our Council on Governmental Affairs, and then our PAC committee, our political advocacy committee, that all our members should be part of. They if you don't I mean, even if you just if they just gave ten or fifty dollars to the PAC, we would have a PAC that would be much more impactful than what it is now. So you know we, we we've got we, we got things on all end. The AAO does more than just how send out a bulletin than just provide practice material for each of our practices. There's all these other balls that are in the air that are going on at the same time.
0: Great. Let me wrap up kind of with this last issue. I know that the AAO doesn't credential orthodontic specialty programs. We talked about the role of Coda earlier in the interview but I know that many members have concerns about increased numbers of orthodontists, uh, especially from so-called for-profit programs. And Dr. McCamish, I'm wondering if you think this is, is a valid concern. Do you think this is kind of a protectionist reaction? Um, you know, it seems like there are still lucrative practice opportunities exist and maybe that's why we have, um, you know, these, these programs popping up. Uh, what I'm curious what your thoughts are.
1: Um, well, you know, is it a valid concern? Again, I'll use the word absolutely. It is a tremendously valid concern. Uh, when I was president, one of the last things I did is I appointed a committee. I went to the COTA review committee when, when they were meeting at Adia, and, uh, and we were, I don't even know where we were. We were in Denver, I think. Um, and that's not right. Uh, we were in, uh, California somewhere. And, um, and. Uh, I went to, I went to the Coda Review Committee and they, they had a hearing and, and I, I stood up and I said, you know, why do we not have full-time equivalents in all the specialty programs? And what I mean by full-time equivalents, they abbreviated FTE and it means you have a, a full-time equivalent per number of students within a class. And, and we have programs springing up that come nowhere near to what it should be. And, and I won't, I don't know that it's appropriate for me to mention individual schools or programs, but we all know that schools and entrepreneurs are looking at orthodontic programs as a way to make money. And, and that's all right if you're providing the education. We cannot control that if they meet, if they meet the standards of CODA and if the site review committee members that do the site review to credential that program and we we need to strengthen the standards of coda and i appointed a committee that is haired is is chaired by one of our trustees steve siegel and and they are doing a great job some things are going to happen there will be some things happen uh, that we will be taking pr- uh, proposals to coda to take and to try to institute and to change the the standards that CODA's had. I feel like right now surgery the surgeons have standards. They have standards on FTE. There should be their standard is one instructor for every four students. One instructor always in the clinic, anytime students are being treated. And then enforcement to give the orthodontic review committee teeth so that when they go in and review a program, that they can make sure these standards are going to be followed and are being followed. Because sometimes they go in and they put them on a provisional basis and say, well, we'll come back and we'll look at you later. So you have to work from within. The American Association of Orthodontists cannot go out and say, you cannot start this school. We have no power to do that. They I mean, I know a lot of times I've heard, um, young grad, young residents or graduates say, well, well, why, why can't the American Association of Orthodontists stop this? We have 67 orthodontic programs in the United States. We, one of them just closed in Nashville, Tennessee. Vanderbilt closed last year. Another program was tried to start up there and that has been intercepted. It's been intercepted through different ways within the state. Again, it's within the state that you, that you take action. Um, but, There's six in Canada, so there's 73 orthodontic programs at this point in time. There's 400, I think, and 23 graduates every year. So, you know, we, 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 we have to make sure that those individuals that are paying a huge amount of money are receiving the education that they should receive. And that's the way that this has to be approached, and that's through COTA. And CODA is the way that we have to work back through, but we have to do it through a way that standards are created and standards can be created through the CODA Review Board, uh, which meets at the American Dental Association office twice a year. And our, our representative is Garland Hershey on that. And uh, and and it's through that, that, it's through him that we're going to take our message.
0: That's that's an answer that I haven't heard before. I think that's really informative, and I think that you know speaks, I think, to some of the legitimate you know opportunities we have to to affect change. So uh, thank you for that. that. That that's really great.
1: You know, I I would encourage your members to reach out to Steve Siegel because Steve is uh, he is he's a bulldog on this, and he is excited about it. He teaches uh he's he's in school he knows that there's violations out there and um and 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 that's that's really that's really where we go there's some programs that have numbers that if this if these standards are enacted they will be forced to cut back they will be forced right. to cut back yeah
0: Great. Well, this, this has been just fantastic uh, information, Dr. McCamish. I've, I've really enjoyed doing this interview and, and getting this information from you. We're going to finish here with, with the same questions I ask all my interviewees. I have uh, this Express 8. We're going to ask eight kind of rapid fire questions and just give me some quick answers and then we'll wrap things up.
1: All right, I'll do my best. This may be hard. <laughs> <laughs> and your members oh, need to know that you yeah. and I, didn't. you didn't provide me any advanced I, questions. <laughs> I did not.
0: I did not. So we'll see. Even though I asked here. you,
1: I said, what kind of questions might we got? Yes, no, so, that's, all right, true. All right, that's true. All right, you, you, you give, you me give me your rapid fire. Give me your rapid fire.
0: In your practice, what was your go-to treatment for full-step class two patients? <laughs>
1: Uh, if I could get them early enough, I would distalize. I would try to treat them. And, and, and the answer is it depends. It depends <laughs> upon facial features. It depends on skeletal relationship. Good facial mm-hmm. features, I always try to distalize. I always, if it's a maxillary excess... I have no problems with taking out two upper vises. If I've got a good lower arch, I'd preserve space as much as I could. I very much agree with trying to treat non-extraction when I can, but I have no hesitancy about taking out teeth or a tooth, depending upon symmetry, when it's required. What was your standard retention protocol? Our standard retention protocol was a bonded three to three on the lower. If requested, we usually used upper and lower removable hollies worn at night with uh, clear uh, liners worn during the day for the first uh, six months of treatment and then at night only with the, with the holly retainers. Okay.
0: Great. Who have your role models or mentors been?
1: My role models, mentors, I I have to say Dr. Faustin, Neff Weber. Uh, Dr. Weber uh, taught us to do excellence in all we did. He taught us to take and to try to always provide the very best treatment that we could possibly for our patients. He was head of the University of Tennessee. Started the first program in the South at the University of Tennessee. A Michigan graduate. I never held that against him, uh, <laughs> and just just a great man.
0: Great, great. What is your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? Something that you couldn't practice without.
1: Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in self ligation. Uh, I tried it many years ago with a, a product called EdgeLock. It didn't work. Uh, it became disengaged. So regardless of product, I've used several different self ligating brackets. Um, I would have to say a self ligating bracket has made it easier for us to practice in training assistants. And, um, uh, and, 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 and we mainly use a lot of sliding mechanics and in, in treating patients. What I couldn't do without though is nitinol. Nitinol wire is one I could not live without. A memory <laughs> wire, whether it's Sentineloy right. or, or without a product. I could not live without that.
0: That's, that's definitely true. What's the best vacation you've ever taken?
1: The best vacation I've ever taken. Wow. That's, that is, um, I'll tell you the best vacation I've ever taken is the last one I did with all my family. And um, I mean, it's regardless of where it is. It's not the location. It's the people you're with. That's my favorite vacation.
0: I think that's a great answer. I like that. What's a, what's one great book that you've read recently?
1: Um, one great book that I've read recently, you know, I, I think probably who moved my cheese. It's an easy book to read and it lets you know that you cannot look back and wonder what happened. And I think it pertains to our profession more than any other book that I've ever read.
0: I think that's very apropos for our conversation today. Um, what bracket system are you currently using in your practice?
1: Um, we currently use a, a .022 uh, with a um, prescribed torque. We use Ross Prescription still. And it's a it, again, it's a self-ligating bracket. Awesome.
0: And what's one area of orthodontics that you still are curious about, or would love to learn more about from a clinical standpoint?
1: You know, I, I can answer that quickly. We're doing a sleep apnea consensus study, and 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 sleep apnea is one of those aspects. Of treatment that 's getting a lot of attention, and one of the bad things back with the TMJ and the TMD in the in the early nineties, we had some issues and the AOF was cre- created as re- as a result of that, and a lot of research was done on tmd and I know it 's supposed to be short, but sleep apnea is a new TMD issue that we have to meet head on. We have a consensus study headed by by Buzz Barents, Ralph Barents, the editor of our journal. We have physicians on it. We now have 13 confirmed individuals. They're going to gather the evidence. We're going to put forth a white paper. We're going to have help for our members that are being threatened with lawsuit because they took out four bicuspids. And some individuals are out there saying, you cause sleep apnea and and we are on the forefront of that it will be happening there will be a paper coming th- coming through about by the middle of next year shortly after the AAO session in Washington sorry for the uh, length
0: no that was a great answer and i think that is a hot topic the whole airway issue so well good this has been a blast and i and i want to thank you again dr McCamish, for coming on for uh giving such eloquent and 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 responsive answers to to our questions today um I'm gonna leave you with this last question. Um what what closing advice would you have for a doctor who's just getting started in her orthodontic career? Is is there something you've learned that you didn't know perhaps when you were a new orthodontist that you would pass along?
1: Um just starting your career, you know, what I what I would say to you is um is Treat your patients with respect. Treat every one of your patients exactly like you would treat a member of your family. And you have a great profession. You will succeed. You will be good. The world will beat, they'll beat a path to your doorstep. Treat your patients as if you would, as if it was one of your family members and how you would want your, the member of your family treated. That's right.
0: Thank you again, Dr. McCamish. Uh, this, like I say, has been a real honor for me.
1: Thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it very much, Lance. I appreciate you asking me to be part of this production and be part of this podcast and to be part of your of what you're doing for our profession. I commend you on that. I commend you for bringing information to our members. And if I can provide or if anyone wants to reach out to me, my email is dmccamish.com at aaortho.org, D, all lowercase, McCamish, M-C-C-A-M-I-S-A, at aaortho.org. And I'd be glad to answer. I'm available to help. The AAO is there to help. Any way we can help you, please reach out.
0: All right. Thank you again, and have a great day.
1: Thanks. Nice talking to you, Lance. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Elevate
0: Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.